we got we got enough to do. Second, if you're a forgiving people, you know you should know that you need to start relinquishing things. Start relinquishing. If you are a forgiving people, which we are, you will have to start relinquishing or letting go of things important to you. Things important to you. Things highly valued in a democracy. Highly valued in a democracy. You'll have to relinquish things important to you, like um, moral indignation, like the right to retaliate in self-defense or sometimes in, yeah, forget self-defense, the right to retaliate. Uh, your attachment to being right, your attachment to being right. the loss that you feel. These are valid, these are valid things. Moral indignation, the right to retaliate because it's your, it's your given right, it's part of your freedom to retaliate. Uh, the uh, uh, attachment to being right, the loss that you have suffered. If you want to be a forgiving people, you will have to start relinquishing these things that are important to you and that are highly prized in a democracy. What are we trying to do with these points? We are trying to say that restored people are not just forgiven, restored people are forgiving. And if I am forgiving, then there are certain things that I must attempt so that I can walk the way Jesus walked. And all these things really match up with Jesus. He gave up moral indignation. If there was any man who lived a moral life and had a high sense of morality, it was him. He gave up the right to retaliate. Even on the cross when he could have commanded legions. He gave up his attachment to the right, to the truth. If there was anyone who knew, it was him. And he gave up loss. He didn't say, I've given up all this. So nothing. He, he laid everything down. And yet that didn't mean that he commanded anything special because he gave up everything. Where sometimes things happen and there is, you have a right to be morally angry. Which one is this? Okay. <laughs> I'll give you a chance. <laughs> moral indignation. Okay. Well, it was moral indignation about myself. So this was regarding my carpooler who has been actually quite nasty to me. I'm not saying any names because this is being recorded. But I was totally lambasted from the moment she got into my car. And, and it was just, uh, my car was full of venom. I was told I was stupid, maybe not in so many words, but I was stupid and that nobody liked me. My work wasn't good. And, um, she had unreasonable expectations and I had every right. I was thinking she's going on a leave in, in two days and I thought I'm not going to carpool with her anymore after this because I don't need to be insulted and offended uh, for no reason. And then I was thinking, but she will take it personally 
and that will close my any door I have for the gospel presentation. And then what Jacob was just saying, yes, I, I don't need to be a doormat. At the same time, yes, I do. I need to be a servant. As we say, there's the thing that rises up in us is, yeah, we should not be doormats. And I agree. But let's look at the other side, which we always avoid. We all, if, we, if we choose Jesus' extremes, we will land in a good middle. So if someone keeps insulting you, it doesn't mean you have to keep taking the insults. But let's go to the other side for today. Let's go to the other side and take the insults. Because there is a scripture actually which says, when they insulted him, when they tortured him, when they did him harm, he was quiet. These are such extremes that we don't even want to go there. And yet there is truth to not being used as a doormat. There were times when Jesus would not allow anybody to use him as a doormat. But we are taking it to the other extreme so that we make up for what we don't have. So relinquishing these things is required if you are a forgiving people. At least if we start there, like Kramer says, if you are already there, then maybe you land in the middle. Oh, don't worry about Kramer. It's from Seinfeld. Thirdly, forgiving is not simply letting go. Forgiving is not simply letting go or forgetting over time. Because this is what we normally do. We let go of offense. We forget it over time. Forgetting it over time. Guys, at no point today will we be talking about forgiving each other and stuff like that. We should be pretty well versed in those things by now because we've been taught that through multiple years. We're talking about being a forgiving people. What, what should we attempt if we want to become a people that constantly forgive? Now here's the thing. Forgiving is not simply letting go or forgetting over time. It is active compassion or empathy. Empathy is when you put yourself in someone else's shoes. That's what empathy means. So forgiving is not simply forgetting or letting go over time. It's an act of compassion or empathy. Because rarely do we forgive out of compassion or empathy. We forgive because it's almost like a duty. We know that if we don't forgive, we've been told that God will not forgive us. We know that if we don't forgive, it might result in unforgiveness which will lead to a whole load of toxic diseases. Most of the reasons Christians forgive have, has everything to do with themselves and very little to do with the other person. This is such a selfish religion. We made it such a selfish religion that whenever we do things, it's still for our benefit, not for the benefit of others. And yet it was never meant to be a selfish religion. Jesus didn't forgive because he was going to get something. He already had it and he put it down. So, forgiving is not simply letting go or forgetting over time. It is active compassion or empathy where you're forgiving because you put yourself in someone else's shoe and your heart is overwhelmed with compassion. This is how Jesus works. This is how a forgiving community should work. Yeah. Um, kind of. Because we are, uh, when, when, when we get further, you'll understand why. Yeah. Any questions on this last one, guys? Guys, we, we are trying to 
behave or think or have the same approach that Jesus has to things so that it is no other way. We don't forgive because, ah, let it go, man. Don't hold any grudge. We don't forgive because, hey, if you don't forgive, you know what's going to happen to you. You'll get diseases. We don't forgive because, oh, he doesn't care, but you will be carrying this all this time. Nah, we are forgiving simply because the compassion and the empathy of God works like that. Therefore, a forgiving community should be like that. It's a very different thing then. It's very non-self-centered. Okay, next one. Forgiveness is a gift before it's a duty. Forgiveness is a gift before it's a duty. Forgiveness is a gift before it's a duty. We destroy its power as a gift. We destroy its power as a gift. When we think of it as a duty. Forgiveness is a gift you give. It was a gift given to us. God didn't feel duty bound. See, what, we have, what are we trying to do? Reflect the heart and the attitude of God. Because we are supposed to be a microcosm or a demonstration of what it looks like when God dwells with the people and the people dwell with him. Forgiveness is a gift. I give it as a gift. I don't give it as a duty. If I give it as a duty, then I destroy the power of the gift. For too long we've been taught that it's your duty to forgive. And so it's best not to coerce anyone to forgive. Don't coerce people to forgive. Because when you coerce them, it ends up being more a duty than a gift. Most ministries that pray for healing and stuff like that will make you forgive people. And so you do it as a duty to escape the sickness, but that is not the purest form of forgiveness as God would have you. By the way, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Do not equate forgiveness with reconciliation. Forgiveness is just pardoning. Pardoning. And after you pardon, then you move towards reconciliation. And reconciliation is basically breaking down walls so that people who were hostile can live together. And it may or may not be possible. In Ephesians 2.14, Jesus, it says about Jesus that he is our peace and he has broken down every wall and he has made one or reconciled the Jew and the Gentile. Those that were hostile now dwell together. Those that are enemies now walk side by side. So they must, forgiveness is just pardoning someone. And after pardoning, there is a step that is expected of Christians, which is to go beyond just pardoning someone. It is now to see if there is any way that reconciliation can happen so that former enemies or victims who were harmed, I know, I know I'm going into territory that is very difficult to fathom out but at the end of the day this is the heart of God so I don't want to stop shop shop any questions don't coerce people into forgiving 
it's a gift that they sh- should try and give. Does it affect uh, health and uh, life? It does. It does. Um, can you help them with it and ask them and tell them, listen, you need to forgive, otherwise this will continue. Yes, you must. But try to remember the heart of God with this whole idea of trying to raise up a forgiving people. And here's the other thing, guys. When it comes to uh, forgiveness, storytelling is important. You must allow people to tell their story because there is anger, there is rage, there is sorrow, there is despair in what has happened to you. And so because we don't have time, we hurry people through the process where always Jesus had time for people to tell him what they did wrong. He would spend time. Even our confession, when we take our sins, he knows. Don't think that you're confessing so that he's given all the information. He knows the information beforehand. But he wants storytelling. He wants you to go and talk to him. One of the things he says is, reason with me. Bring your arguments to me. Storytelling is part of this because there's a lot of anger, rage, sorrow, despair that is involved. And the question is, do I have time for it? Therefore, when I force someone to quickly say, Betty, you better forgive um, Jane. Um, just say, I forgive you, Jane. And so she says, I forgive you, Jane. And, and yes, it's, it is an attempt and it is right. And there's nothing wrong with what it's done. But there's a more excellent way and that requires time. I was listening to this guy called Miles McPherson. This is just on the side. One of the things he said is very, and he's black. And he, he, um, he was saying how um, one of the things he's noticed in America is when he hangs around with um, uh, whites, for the lack of, I don't know how, how else to say it, uh, he says that, uh, no, Caucasian is a Canadian thing. Asian is a Canadian thing. East Indian is a Canadian thing. There's, trust me, Indians don't like being called Hindi, East Indians, Sri Lankans don't like being called in. Sorry? Sorry? Oh, James said so, so he's the authority on it. So here's what, here's what Miles McPherson said. He said very often when he hangs around with um, Christians who are white, they say that, um, oh, I don't see color. Um, I, I see everyone the same. I don't see color. And Miles McPherson says, you must see my color first before you stop seeing it. Because my color carries with it a story. So we've got to try and escape these cliches that we use. Even when it comes to forgiveness, there is the need to hear the story. And he says, because, because there's this quick whitewash saying, ah, I don't see color, I see everybody equal. My God, that song was as racist as they come. We were talking about it. If Jesus loves the little children, red and yellow, black and white. <laughs> and so Jeevan's question was, where's brown? <laughs> So he felt left out and some others felt insulted. But the point is this. <laughs> I don't think they sing that song anymore in churches. This is a politically so incorrect message. But the point is this, that I must see your color, your background, your gender at times, your um, country you come from before I 
quickly jump to the point and say, oh, I don't see, I see everyone as equal. Because our backgrounds carry a story and sometimes it needs to be heard before you can come into any degree of reconciliation with anybody. Just a thought. Uh, when I heard it, it just struck me hard because it's so easy to say, oh, I don't see color, I see everyone the equal, same. But sometimes it's not such a good thing to say that. People have gone through stuff. Go ahead. Uh, Yeah, you must see color and then treat everyone equal. You must see someone's background, someone's past, and then treat everybody equal. <laughs> Moving on. Here's another statement that really shook me. Uh, uh, go ahead, Dano. Yeah. Yeah, it's a demand you can make on yourself. And by the way, some problems between husbands and wives will take a few sunsets. Uh, at least ask your wife and she'll tell you that. It's the husband who wants to get it done before sunset. Because that'll mean less explanation for the next eight days. But most wives don't worry about a problem taking six sunsets. Just information for your husbands. So you that you clue on from now on. Yeah, that's what Dano says too, and I don't believe either of you. <laughs> that's the other thing. <laughs> News flash for husbands. What you see as not being a fight is actually a fight because your wife has a completely different take on it. If you notice, Anne didn't say anything. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it to you, come on. You are a nice guy to Anne. <laughs> and the full stop, it stops there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's another comment that really bothered me. Uh, as a Christian, I dehumanize you when I don't see you as a neighbor I must love. It really bothered me. Because this word dehumanization is used very often nowadays. Uh, where don't dehumanize others. So you might dehumanize people in the world if you treat them a certain way. But as a Christian, I dehumanize you if I don't see you as a neighbor that I must love as myself. You become a little less than what you are supposed to be when I do not see you as a neighbor made in, my, uh, made in the image of God and a neighbor that I must love as myself. Not love instead of myself, love as myself. As a Christian, I dehumanize you and I don't see you as a neighbor who I must love as myself. This is where the whole empathy thing kicks in, eh? Where you put yourself in someone else's shoes, where you go with Matthew 7 verse 12, it says that do unto, yours, do unto others what you would have them do to you. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. Very difficult, guys, these things. But thank God for an extreme Jesus. For an extreme Jesus. I mean... I had an opportunity you know, a couple of weeks ago to practice some of this where um, a guy came and parked in my parking slot. And I'm coming home at 11 in the night and there's a guy in my parking slot. And it's, it's one of those parking slots where you either park there or you park outside. And if you park outside, you pay for it. So, um, of course, moral indignation, um, 
rightfully so and all that stuff and so should I key his car scratch it no these thoughts didn't I was saying these thoughts didn't occur to me because I'm a believer now so so now I'm thinking about what should I do so now my thought is I'll have to drive uh, and it's raining outside a guy walked by he said just haven't towed that's what we normally do we just ask call the manager they ask the towing company to come and tow and I'm thinking to myself I would hate to be towed on a night because then he'll have to go somewhere downtown to pick up the car and pay 80 or 85 bucks. So I leave a note on his card saying, uh, this, if you don't remove this by 6 in the morning, uh, it'll be towed. Now I go park my car and pay for parking outside. And then I'm thinking to myself, that I can handle. But waking up at 6 o'clock, that's even worse. <laughs> but at 6 o'clock, I wake up and the car is still there. So now I write. <laughs> If you don't, I cut out six, I write, if I don't, if you don't move it by nine, I'll have you told. Come back at nine, the guy hasn't moved. So I now I cut it off and I say, if you don't move it by 12, I'll have you told. The guy didn't move till five, man. But somehow, I've been told five, six times, that is the most miserable experience in your life. And somehow I didn't, <laughs> somehow I didn't want it to happen to this guy. So I would rather pay then have this happen to him. Am I suggesting that you do it? No. Next time he parks there, I've taken down his number, I haven't told immediately. But the point is this, guys. Try to empathize and try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and then know that um, as a Christian, I dehumanize you when I don't see you as my neighbor who I must love as myself. It's a very difficult thing. That's why it bothers me. It is so difficult to see everybody as a neighbor. This is why I can understand why this guy who was listening to Jesus' story asked the smartest and the dumbest question. Who is my neighbor? I mean, dumbest because he was setting himself up because now Jesus would tell him a story. And smartest because that's what everyone would ask. Who is my neighbor? I was so convicted by that statement that when uh, Jeevan texted me last night saying he had left his key at work, I even offered to drive him to work. But I sent the text message five minutes late hoping he had found a ride and thank God he did. Because <laughs> Abel wouldn't take him. Okay, two ways to go about forgiving. Two ways to go about forgiving. Unilateral forgiveness unilateral forgiveness where you forgive without anything in return it requires nothing in return it's an act of generosity even though you were wronged it's an act of generosity you just forgive unilateral forgiveness nothing is asked you just forgive many of you have done this many times and then there is bilateral forgiveness in this case there is a need for justice to be served and therefore there must be remorse and change before forgiveness can take full effect and both are present in the Bible bilateral yeah bilateral forgiveness bilateral forgiveness is when there's an exchange involved it depends on uh, either an apology or a confession that wrong was done or remorse it's tied up with justice and it requires the paying off of a debt or a restitution of some sort. And both are mentioned in the Bible and there are different times for them. But just keep it in mind. 
But unilateral uh, forgiveness is when you want nothing. It is out of your generosity that you give forgiveness as a gift and it comes out of a place of compassion, not out of letting go. Ah, oh, if we could move from letting go to compassion. The more conditions you attach to forgiveness, guys, the more vindictive it gets. The more conditions you attach to forgiveness, the more vindictive it gets. The more conditions you attach to forgiveness, the more vindictive it can get. I've read this many times that uh, um, in 1919, after the First World War, when Germany was given a truce at the Treaty of Versailles, um, the conditions were so, so extreme that it was only a matter of time before Germany would strike back. It was humiliation. Sometimes we give forgiveness, but there are so many conditions that it humiliates the one receiving forgiveness. Be careful of that. Sometimes spouses do this to each other. Churches have to be careful about this too because how do you deal with it at present? I got a call earlier this week from someone who said that in their church, one of the pastors had committed a sexual sin and that it has finally come out. How do you deal with it? Do you bring it out into the open? Don't you? And if you bring it out into the open, because that's what the Bible says must be done, that an elder should be uh, uh, rebuked in, the, in public. How will the church react? Will the church have him for breakfast for the next three months? Or will the church be kind? Forgiveness is a really messy thing, guys. I pray God that if it comes to a point where someone in this church has to be rebuked publicly because of a certain way of walking, that we will be so restorative, that'll be an example. That the person will happily come and know that safety in laying out what has been done publicly, knowing that the rest of the church will not eat he or she up for breakfast. What do churches do instead? Because they're scared of the reaction, everything is swept under the carpet. And anything that is swept under the carpet, there'll be some guest who will come along and stumble on the carpet. And the day they stumble on the carpet, all your dust is revealed. Hey, if you've been through a traumatic situation, then one of the easiest ways to escape fear is to forgive those that caused the trauma. If you've been through a traumatic situation, doesn't matter whether it was something as horrible as, um, um, so, uh, as sexual abuse or as horrible as what happened to uh, Prashant or as horrible as physical abuse or as horrible as just robbery or burglary or whatever, one of the fastest ways to escape the fear that that trauma causes is to forgive the perpetrators of the trauma. Sometimes you may have to go to their grave because they're already dead. Other times you may not have to meet them but forgive them. It is one of the fastest ways out of the fear caused by the trauma. 
And forgive how? Forgive out of compassion. Not out of letting go, but out of compassion. Forgive how? Forgive as looking at the person, not in the way that dehumanizes them as perpetrators who harm me, but as ones who are my neighbor. It is, it is extreme. This is so wrong. This is why it doesn't fit within democracy. The fastest way to escape the, the, um, the, um, the, the stigma caused by inequality and exploitation is to again forgive the ones who exploited you and treated you unequally. Especially in an immigrant uh, nation like Canada, you don't know the, genera the, the history of generations after generations of immigrants that have come into this land and have had an attitude towards the previous generation. Where you, you were treated unequally, people um, oppressed your grandfather or your grandmother, or a certain nation behaved a certain way with the nation that you come from, and now you carry it. Sometimes it's got nothing to do with nations. Sometimes it's got to do with, you don't like people who are richer than you. You don't like people who are better cars than you. You don't like people who have better houses than you. You step into their house and the first thing you think is, how did this guy get this house? He must be doing something on the side. It's a mentality. And it comes out of either something I've developed in my childhood or sheer exploitation or just the inequality I've suffered. Do you know something? And I'm not, I won't be off the mark if, when I say this. There are people sitting in this room right now, including me, who have prejudices against certain nations. We all come, unfortunately, because of our childhood, with prejudices against certain nations, against certain types of people, against certain strata, against certain riches. We all have them. Secretly, it'll come out in comments or conversations with people you're close to. There is no country as ridden with this as South Africa. I have heard good Christians talk so, so obnoxiously about the other race that it makes me shudder. But they will only talk about it when they know they are safe with you. But it comes out. Are there nations or nationalities that you do not hold in respect? There was a person in this church who I once was driving with, was. So don't think of yourself. There was a person in this church who was driving it, and at one point he told me, Jacob, you have no idea how much I hate people who are rich. Look at them. They just put on their money. They go buy these kind of cars. Look at their houses. Just, just, there was just such anger because they were richer. Why am I bringing this up? Because if you want to escape real or perceived inequality or exploitation, forgiving is the only way to safeguard your heart from prejudice and resentment against their cars, their houses, their money, their nationality, their culture, their immigrant values, doesn't matter what it is, get rid of it. Otherwise, at some point from your mouth will come out the statement, ah, he's an Indian, or ah, he's, she's German, or ah, he's Pakistani. You won't believe this. I had really good Pakistani friends in Bahrain. You know them. No, not you, in Bahrain. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, in Bahrain, I didn't know them. But I had really good Pakistani friends in Bahrain. And my relatives would come and um, um, say to me, 
what are you doing hanging out with those Pakistanis? Because Indians and Pakistanis are not supposed to be friends. Right from when I was six. Praise God for you, man. When I, <laughs> when I was six, I remember at, at six being taught after, as soon as school is out. When I was six, 1971, the India-Pakistan war broke out. We were taught from when we were kids to hate Pakistanis. We would walk back from school and there would be grown-ups teaching us slogans that we would shout down the roads because the war was going on and we would shout these. So I can understand why my relatives, when I gathered together with them for dinner, said, why are you hanging around with them? Yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is, guys, do not pretend that you do not have prejudices or biases. We have them, and unless we face up to them, we cannot get rid of them. One lady that Chris and Heidi know, once I was with her for lunch and she turns around to me and says, oh, I hate Filipinos. I'm thinking to myself, where did that come from? But there was some reason. She just blurted it out. Who do you hate? getting stuck here. Do you know how hard it used to be for East Indian churches and Chinese churches to rent a church in Vancouver? Do you know how hard it was? Because no church would rent to East Indian congregations or Chinese congregations. You know why? Because in case they have a potluck, the kitchen will smell and we can't allow those smells in our church. I'm talking about 15 years ago, man. This is not ancient history. This is very real. I pray God that we rid ourselves of these prejudices so that we become a restored people. Cultivate a prejudice-free Christ view. Cultivate a prejudice-free Christ view that dismantles your worldview developed during your childhood or adulthood. Cultivate a prejudice-free Christ view that dismantles your worldview that you may have developed through childhood or as you grew up. Cultivate a prejudice-free Christ view that dismantles your worldview that you may have developed from childhood. Because if you don't, God will prune you with, your, with his word and then if you don't, he'll discipline you with affection. If you don't, God will prune you with his word as he's doing right now through this teaching. 
and then he will discipline you with affection if you still don't change and a forgiven people must expect God's gift of discipline because he likes confronting and overcoming sin and helping you repent because he wants a holy peculiar people so he prunes us through the word and if we don't change through the word then he brings in affectionate discipline so that we change two more points and we'll wrap up because I want to break bread and pray for healing for people uh, a forgiving people judge themselves a forgiving people judge themselves meaning 1 Corinthians 11 I think 31 says judge yourself lest you be judged judge yourself lest you be judged a forgiving people judge themselves they examine themselves before God and they give others grant others the right to judge them as in tell me if there's something wrong that I need to correct because when you judge yourselves and you give people the right to judge you then you begin to uh, as it says in Hebrews 5.14 you begin to make judgments that distinguish between right and wrong as long as see on one hand we are forgiven but just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that you are shutting yourself out to judgment you go and stand before God and you say father what does it say in with Psalm 139 or somewhere there it says see if there be any wicked way in me that is one thing you need to do and then because you may not be able to see your blind spots you must go and ask someone or give someone else the, 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 the right to judge you saying I've gone before God but I know I have blind spots and blind spots are always invisible I grant you the right to judge me to call me into account and when you do I will do what is required to change you must give others the right to judge you once they judge you you can resist it wrestle with it do whatever but you must give others the right to judge you if you don't you will never never be able to recover from your blind spots and they'll collect like leeches on your skin and they'll suck your blood because a forgiving people judge themselves you know why a forgiving people judge themselves because God expects a people who are forgiven and a people who forgive you know one of the main things he wants to use them for he wants to use them for making peace blessed are the peacemakers it is only a people who know how to judge correctly that he can use to bring peace into situations Christians are peacekeepers God wants peacemakers to make peace you have to judge correctly and you cannot judge other things correctly till you judge yourself correctly and you never can fully judge yourself correctly unless you allow others to judge you also once you get to that point God will say aha now I have someone who can discern between right and wrong who can choose between right and wrong who can make good judgments and yet make judgments with mercy the beautiful thing about a people that are forgiving is that they make correct judgments and after making correct judgments they show mercy Paul was highly forgiving we saw what he said and yet wasn't this the same Paul that says to uh, Elimas the sorcerer 
that there is such bitterness in you. Be careful, something will happen to you. Wasn't it the same Paul that stood before Sergius Paulus and said to bar Jesus, the other sorcerer, that a blindness is going to descend on you and the man was blind. Wasn't it the same Paul who would Silas, before they left for Iconium in Acts chapter 13, dusted the um, um, uh, dust off their shoes and walked away saying, your blood be on your head. There are times when judgment is required where you judge correctly. But the beautiful thing is that after that it will always be coupled with mercy because a forgiving people are supposed to be peacemakers. Peacemakers are people who are forgiven and people who know how to forgive. Peacemakers are ones who are very keen in knowing how to dissect what is right from what is wrong, what is black from what is white and know how to divide the gray and say aha and now that we have done this we will show mercy James chapter 2 verse 13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment that when one shows mercy he will be treated mercifully when one does not show mercy he will not be treated mercifully mercy triumphs over judgment but don't for a second think that any mercy can happen without judgment there is no word called mercy. There is no concept called mercy unless there is judgment. One cannot exist without the other. Mercy does not exist where judgment is absent. The very word owes its existence to judgment. Therefore, a forgiving people first know how to judge themselves and a forgiving people learn how to judge things accurately. First Corinthians 2.15 says, A person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. We are called to make judgments, but after making judgments, show mercy or compassion or pity. I was watching this... Uh, um, I was watching this documentary called The End, which is about the transition of Obama's presidency into the Bush presidency, the last days. And at one point, a few weeks before Obama leaves office, there is the shooting at Charleston, where uh, there was a Bible study happening in a um, church, and uh, nine African Americans were shot. And uh, through all the things that were happening, Obama uh, says that what just gripped him was the relatives of all nine African Americans went to the court and forgave this guy called Dylan Roof for shooting their sons, daughters, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. And he was overwhelmed by the fact that these guys went. They didn't say, oh, let him go free. There was justice that had to be met, but there was forgiveness that was offered easily. Judgment must be always followed by mercy. This is how peacemakers work. Peacemakers know how to distinguish and then peacemakers bring in the life of God full of mercy and grace into a situation. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. This was the job of the prophets, guys. I'll end with this line. This was the job of the prophets. What did the prophets do? Prophets would always bring judgment saying, you guys have turned away, you guys have turned away. And then what would they do? But God is merciful, but God is merciful, turn to him. And then they would usher in the peace of Christ into situations.
Every time there was an apostate condition that Israel went through or there was apostasy that was common in Israel, a prophet would come, he would say, listen, judgment, judgment, judgment. Ah, now that I've got your attention, mercy, mercy, mercy. This is in the Old Testament. How much more so in the New Testament? Blessed are the peacemakers. Any questions? I'm done. Any questions? From now on, when you forgive people, remember to forgive them because you are compassionate. From now on, when you forgive people, do it because um, you empathize. You put yourself in their shoes. You think of Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as you would like done unto you. Now when you forgive people, don't forget or let go. Be very deliberate about it. Try thinking of people as your neighbor. And then as soon as you think of them as a neighbor, you are now required to love them as you love yourself. Not instead of yourself. It's an important distinction we can't talk about today. But as you love yourself. You cannot coerce forgiveness, uh, coerce a person to forgive, because it's a gift. Remember, every time you forgive, you're giving a gift. What a, what, I mean, such, a, such, a, such an amazing comparison to Jesus. What he gave us was a gift. Whenever you think of forgiveness as a duty first, you destroy the power of the gift. Ah, how horrible that is. When I can give a gift and I do something instead as a duty. Give it as a gift. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. Think along these lines. Consider that there might be people that you despise and disdain because of the exploitation or the trauma or the inequality that you have suffered under their hand. And therefore you've colored an entire race, an entire nationality, an entire ethnicity, an entire group of people who have a certain status or certain riches or certain homes or certain cars a certain way. Time to let go of these because these are poisonous roots that have developed over 30, 40, 50 years. You think they won't bear fruit? And why does the gardener prune? The gardener prunes because the fruit is bad. And what does he prune with? With the word. How? Through teachings like this or through the word of God. And what happens when we don't listen? When after saying all this, if I still don't listen, what do you think he'll do? Discipline me. Why? Because he is most interested in raising a community that is a microcosm and a demonstration of who he is. And he is all this. Escape the fear of trauma through forgiveness. Judge yourself lest you be judged. Grant to others the right to judge yourself, to critique you, take what they say into account and forgive yourself at the cross after they critique you. But give people the right to judge judge you after you judge yourself. Make judgments. God wants to raise up a church that is peacemakers. You cannot make peace till you see what is black and white. Anything else is peacekeeping or detente, where you shut one eye so that you don't get bombed in the middle of the night. Father, I just thank you for your wisdom. I just thank you for your wisdom. You're an extreme God. 
and I'm so grateful that we serve an extreme God. And yet you are normal. We are the ones who've diluted and just made everything so self-serving while everything about you is so self-giving. Oh God, teach us this word itself carries the word given it, forgiving. Forgiving not for our sake, but for the sake of someone else. Thank you. Make these lessons, things we practice in our lives. Oh God, the last point I want to rehash is that a forgiving people are hard to offend. Please help me to not take offense easily. I take offense because I'm proud. Help us to be humble. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, uh, just...